0: I could ask you to please turn with me your Bibles to 1st Timothy chapter 6 1st Timothy 6 and um, the title of the sermon is Behold Our God and that's what we're going to do this morning um, I just love at time different times and several times throughout the letters uh, and, and with the different writers in the New Testament, they'll be teaching something and all of a sudden they'll just take, take a break from what they're teaching just to praise God and, and just have a doxology. Paul does this uh, a lot and sometimes it's more pronounced than others, like Romans 11, that's very pronounced. This is very pronounced as well. It's just so cool. Um, and and it's, it's more than that. It's amazing because he's bringing, praising God and bringing out attributes in the nature of God. So... 1st uh, Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 11 through 16 But as for you O man of God flee these things pursue righteousness godliness faith love steadfastness gentleness fight the good fight of faith take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ who in in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of King and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Praise God. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you. And I do thank you, Lord, <clears throat> for the opportunity to come before you and, and, and in your word, Lord, and just pray that you would be with all of us. And I do pray that you would help us engage in your word by your spirit, working in our hearts to keep us alert, to keep us awake, to keep us aware, Lord, of what you are teaching us as we learn to grow in our faith and and really to take hold of it, Lord God, and to be, again, consumed by Christ in every single way. So I pray that you would be with me to, to be clear in thought and word, Lord God, even as all of us sit at the feet of our Lord, Savior, Master, Teacher, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, like I say these doxologies, man. They're just glorious, real simple. When we hear the word doxology. Simply put, it's just a glorious expression and pronouncement of praise and exaltation of God. That's my like um, definition, I guess, of that because that's what it is, man. And oftentimes it's just spontaneous. You know, it's like Paul realizing what he's saying, what he's speaking to, just the 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 gravity of what he's speaking to, almost interrupts well he does he interrupts his instruction or he just steps back and pauses from from his teaching just to exalt god and just to praise god's name is not amazing look man you do that we do that often maybe in little ways but even in our conversations i met with several of you this week and in almost every conversation there was a point in time where you just step back and, and kind of just praise god for who he is right that's 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 a doxology. That's what we do. So so you you know someone who's explaining a situation and like right in the middle of that, there was almost a pause and she just said, God is so amazing, isn't he? I just love God's providence and how he worked this out in my life, right? So that's, that's a doxology. That's a praise to God. He is so good. and We love the Lord for who he is and what he's done. What an amazing God we serve. Those are like doxologies. And then we get back to the conversation and start talking about what we were talking about. But it's just kind of this burst of praise to God and his goodness and, and to who he is so Paul has been given instructions to Timothy and he's teaching him and he's telling him look Timothy I'm charging you in this way I'm telling you that you need to flee from temptation to sin you know just get yourself out of that situation remove yourself from that and in turn pursue righteousness and those things that we ought to be pursuing as Christians run to Christ as as it were um, fight the good fight of faith, right? You fight that good fight. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't be given over. But you stay faithful to Christ. Take hold of eternal life, Timothy. Embrace, embrace it. Embrace your faith. Engage in your faith. Use your gifts and talents. Don't hide in the corner. Be active for Christ, and and do what He's made you to do, and be who you're called to be in Christ. Don't waste it, man. Don't waste that which He's given to us. And then he said, keep the commandment. See, it's like just building up one thing after another. Do this, Timothy, do this. Do. Keep the commandment, which essentially, when it all comes down to it, it's the word of God. You keep that unstained. We talked about that last week. Keep it free from reproach. Don't let anybody say anything bad about it because of what you say about the word of God. You keep that free from reproach, right? And you do all of this, how long? until Christ returns. And we talked about that beautiful legacy that we have. We just pass on the faith, one generation to the next, to the next. And this is our time, beloved. This is our time to be faithful with the word of God and to be true. Don't, don't let that pass by. Don't, don't squander that. Don't waste that. Because we're doing it until Christ returns. And Paul, kind of realizing what he's saying at this time, almost steps back and just... Um, gives a burst of praise and just basks in the glory of God, doesn't he? He says, you know, when Christ is is, is displayed at the proper time, who is the blessed and only sovereign King of King and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be... Um, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen, and then he goes right back into the teaching and we 'll talk about that next week, but but you see that, man we have sometimes we just have to praise him, we just have to stop and glorify God because he is our God and it 's not they 're not mere superlatives, I mean just kind of complimenting God in that way, but these are descriptions, and you need to understand that. They're attributes that speak to the very nature and being of God. And so they're instructive for us in that way because this is the truth. This is who God is opposed to all the other false gods, other false systems. We have the truth and it's just an exclamation of that and the the attributes of God. So it tells us about They tell us about the nature of God, which should give you confidence in him. This is our God. This is the one who loves us. This is the one who we serve. And he is the true and living God. That's a good place to be, right, as Christians, because we have the truth. We're in the truth because he is the truth. So it gives us confidence. And it gives us great comfort. These doxologies comfort us as well. Just when you hear about how amazing God is, all the depth of the riches, like Paul says in Romans 11, all the different doxologies that we have in Scripture you know, um, about the Lord, even, even when we give the doxology as at the end of the service, that's a, that's a blessing, and, and we're pronouncing, saying something about God. And there's certain, several things here that Paul talks about our God, and I want you to have confidence and comfort in Him and be encouraged to live more and more for him and praise him and never be ashamed of him right so the first thing he says about him he's the blessed and only sovereign he is the sovereign God the potentate right he's the he's that one he is the only one and this is about our God the God who called you out of darkness into the God whom whom we serve we belong to right he's the only one who possesses inherent and unparalleled power strength and might our god is a mighty god all powerful god he controls and this is his sovereignty he's not just above kind of ruling things like no no he controls rules and reigns over the entire universe at all times doesn't that give you comfort to know that our god is sovereign over all things no matter what the situation is he is over and in that, right? He decrees, he orders, he ordains, he sustains all things. So whatever the situation is, whether it's positive, negative, good or bad, God is in the midst of that, he's ruling over that, and we look to him. You know something? By his decree, by the decrees of God, and through his providence, history unfolds, and the universe is held together. The Westminster Shorter Catechism couple of questions are so, so good, and, and you need to understand this about the nature of God and how he works. First one, first question is, what are the decrees of God? And the answer is this, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose. He has an eternal purpose, right? According to the counsel of his own will, whereby for his own glory, and that's the motivation. He hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Do you understand that? He has foreordained, and that will blow your mind, that will boggle your mind when you really start to think about that. Everything, even, even the, the two sparrows tied together, they don't fall without your fault. He knows the, the hairs on your head. I, I mean, if, I remember in seminary, I used to talk with one of my friends, Scott Wilkinson, about this, and, and we were in, in a room, and the, it was falling, the leaves were falling, and he said, "See, God ordained that leaf to fall at that very moment he It's not apart from his sovereign control and will isn't that amazing so it's it, there's a depth there for us. this is our God whom we serve right goes on to say, How does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence, and then do we have the work?" Of creation the work of creation is God making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good we don't have providence I did tell you that you're right good thing I know this one God's works of providence are his most holy wise powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions right? That is wonderful. That is our God. That's why he's sovereign. And that's what Paul's saying. He is the only sovereign God, and we belong to him. Don't you love that? Don't you? Don't you? There's nothing that's out of his purview, right? He He upholds and sustains all things just check it out just let the scriptures speak for themselves this is where we get it's not something we make up Oh, it would be nice if god were like this no this is who god is that he is sovereign so isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 and 10 remember the former things of old for i am god there is no other i am god and there's none like me Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. You can see that the answer to the catechism question in these verses as well. Isaiah 14, 24 and 27. The Lord of hosts has sworn as I have planned, so it shall be. And as I have purpose, so it shall stand. That's our God. Now, we can go on all day, day. I just have to give you a few more, but this could be an entire sermon in and of itself. We just don't have time to do that. In um, Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne. There's a sovereignty. He's the king over all in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Right? Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, our Second Chronicles 26, and he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, you are, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. That is our God. That's what Paul's shouting out to just, he is all the sovereign one. Um, Daniel chapter two. Yeah, Daniel two twenty one. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That's sovereignty. That's our God. Some people don't like that because it's too constraining, and we're such rebels that we don't want to be under God's sovereignty. Right? We want to be that, that king. We want to be the sovereign one. No, 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 no. There's such peace and glory because even as Christians, we fight against this because, man, what about my free will? What about the way I want to do things? What about the way I see things? When you submit to his sovereignty and you place yourself under that, that's where great comfort comes and that's where great peace comes. That peace that passes all understanding when you know that he is sovereign God over you in your life and over all things. How about Daniel chapter four? I am going to read that. So please turn with me, if you would, to Daniel four. This these are well known scriptures. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, who was the most powerful ruler, who was a sovereign, as it were, over the world, but nothing compared to God when it comes to when it comes to God. What happened when he messed with God? He went a little crazy, didn't he? He started eating grass like a cow because he, yeah. You can read the story for yourself. But when God gave him back his mind, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Did he continue to shake his fist at God and say, I'm the son? Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's um, reaction. At the end of these days, this is, I'm sorry, chapter 4, beginning in verse 34. At the end of these days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Now, remember, this is a pagan Ruler, king, pagan. I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and I honored him who lives forever. That's wonderful theology. That guy right now is better theology than so many professing Christians today. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is sovereign. So Paul says, our God is sovereign God. Amen? Praise God. This is the God we serve. This is our God. There are a lot of false deities, pagan gods, little demigods who set themselves up and serve almost as sovereigns themselves. Right? Mostly these sovereigns are projections of what they want to be, and they do borrow from the Christian worldview because they have to to a degree, but they are powerless before God. Lots of false ones, right? You know the story. I'm going to tell you to turn again. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Kings 18. And love these stories. We can read them all day long. All right? I'm not going to read the entire account, but I'll read portions of it. 1 Kings chapter 18. You know this. It's Elijah and the prophets of Baal, all right? baal worshipers 450 of them all oh, this is God. this is the deity he's the sovereign this is the one we worship right you guys there first kings chapter 18 beginning in verse 21 again i'm going to skip portions of it but verse 21 he says and elijah came near to all the people and he said how long will you go limping between two different opinions? And ask yourself that question. If the Lord be God, then you follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So then he brings up the challenge and he goes on um, say, here's what you need to do set up your sacrifice and have your God come and uh, deal with that. Go down to verse 26. Here's what they did. They took the bull that was given them. They prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal or Baal, Baal, I'll say Baal from morning until noon saying, "O Baal, answer us, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made And at noon, Elijah mocked them. And I love this. It's a holy mocking because there are so many false deities and false gods and people take them seriously like they have power over us. They don't, right? So we don't give in to that. We serve the true and living sovereign God. So he says this to them. He says, um, at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry loud for he's a God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried out loud, and they cut themselves after the customs with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. See crazy people do, like what they do, the silliness in that way, this false word, and that's to try to invoke their God to, to come. They go down to verse 36, at that time of the offering, of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, "'O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, "'let it be known this day that you are God in Israel "'and that I am your servant "'and that I have done all these things at your word.'" Then verse 38, "'Then the fire of the Lord fell "'and consumed the burnt offering "'and the wood and the stones and the dust "'and licked up the water that was in the trench.'" And when the people saw what they fell on their faces, the only proper response to God, the holy God, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. See that? Our God is sovereign God. That's why it's so just amazing when we praise him almost spontaneously in that way that he is sovereign God. In Acts 12, um, 21 through 23 Remember Herod? You know the story. See, these, these are people that set up as so, a sovereign God who want to be worshipped, a demigod. That's why we don't have to be afraid of earthly powers. And what can they do to us? What can man do to me? Don't fear him in that way, right? So, um, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. You see, that's a very vivid description, very immediate. But that is the fate of all those who look to another and not to our sovereign God. He's a sovereign God, isn't he? Amen. Praise God. That is our God. That's why there should be reverence on your part. That's why we should, should be a depth and just an awe and amazement that we belong to him and he is our, this is the God, the only God, and we serve him because he loves us. Amen. What a privilege. Then he goes on, <clears throat> another descriptor, King of King and Lord of Lords, right? That has to do with authority, especially. It's related to sovereignty, but also to authority. All authority belongs to him. He's the source of authority. It comes from him. Everything else is derived. Everything else is derivative, right? It's based on his nature and on his character. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Man sets himself up so often with the God-given authority the authority that God gave him, but abuses it and uses it and is corrupted by it and corrupts others by it and oppresses those by it. So many in authority in little ways and in big ways abuse it in that way, not realizing that they are all under his authority. So even Romans 13, 1, even with governments, guys, look, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. See, the government is a servant of Almighty God, and they will answer to him. They are to serve the people righteously. That's that's the standard. It doesn't matter where you're at and what part of the world you're living. Oh, that's just a the government there. No, they're still subject to God. He has put them in place. And a lot of these tyrants may have their day. There are people having their day right now that are in positions of authority. But you know what the word says? You know what the Lord tell, the Lord is saying? Psalm 2, verses 4 and 5, to all those who are in power and, and think that they're advancing their cause using whatever oppression and means that they want, he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Right? They may have their day, but they will answer to him. Go ahead, go ask Pharaoh. Go ask Nebuchadnezzar. Go ask Pilate. Remember when Pilate said, don't you know I have the authority? Your life is in my hands." What did Jesus say to him? Bloodied, bruised, and battered. You have no authority except that which has been given to you. That's it. What did Pilate do? He kept his mouth. He knew. Ask the guards who came to arrest Jesus. Remember John 18? When all the guards came with their... With their clubs and their swords, and there's Jesus standing there, and they and they asked for him in John eighteen six. He said, Who where's this Jesus? When Jesus said to them, I am He, what happened to those guards? And this is authority. And those guards, they couldn't help it. They drew back and they fell on their faces. They didn't just like bow quickly and get up. They literally fell on their faces and worship God. That's authority. And that's the authority that we're under in Jesus Christ. You know that? You get That's why these doxologies are amazing because they speak to the nature of our God who loves us. And we get to live in that glory. And that's why we glorify him as well. All right? Step back. It just It gives you chills. And it makes you wonder why he chose us. All earthly authority is derivative. All those in authority will give an account to God. And listen, I want you to check this out. You, we also have authority in Christ. This is where our authority as Christians come from. We do speak the truth to corruption and to power because we have the truth. Our authority as believers comes from Almighty God. And there are times that we need to say no to those in authority, right? Remember in Acts? Ah, no, 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 don't teach in his name anymore. Okay, we won't because you're the authorities. Is that how it went? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. He said that it's up to you to decide are we going to serve God or man? But we can't stop teaching about Jesus Christ. We're not going to do that. right? That's the authority. That's the authority that, that we have in Christ. It's not because we're self-righteous. It's not because we're arrogant. It's not because we're revolutionaries because we're not revolutionaries. Revolutionaries despise authority disrespect authority, reject authority, destroy authority to build our own. That's revolutionaries. We are followers of Christ. We're simply holding the line on truth, which all authority is subject to. You understand that? That's why you could be brave as a Christian. That's why you could say no when is being violated and when they say, oh, it's okay to murder babies in the womb. No, it's not. Right? I don't care who you are. And we have men, and I'm not going to put Aaron on the spot, but I am because that man met with our representatives a few months ago, and he told that representative, the conservative representative, that you are under the power of God, and you're under the authority of God, and you must act accordingly. And that representative started <laughs> hemming and hawing and walking away, but that's what we're talking about here. We have the authority to speak the truth to power in Christ because it's his authority, right? Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords because he is the sovereign one. And then he goes on. Now he gets really deep. We could relate to these two things. We could, we, you know, you think about sovereignty and uh, dominion and those, those types of things. Um, authority, we could relate to that. We, we're all subject to authority. We have authority in certain realms. But now he takes a deep dive into the nature of God. It just boggles the mind. It's difficult to fathom, difficult to comprehend, difficult to relate to. But this is the nature of our God, and this is what sets Him apart from all other false deities. This is part of who He is that makes Him God. That He that makes Him God and makes Him who He is. He goes on to say, in First Timothy, uh, the, the sovereign one, the the King of King and Lord of Lords, the the only who alone has immortality, and we'll stop right there, who alone has immortality, do you see that attribute of God, sovereign king of kings, immortality, again, that's a deep dive, because that speaks to the nature of God, that it's hard for us in our minds to grasp, to fathom, but this is the idea, it has several ideas connected to it, but it's but it has to do with the eternality of God. Now, now, that's the idea that that God has no beginning and no end. We can't relate to that because everything that we know has a beginning and it has an end. God has no beginning and no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. There was never a time when God did not exist. Right? And there will never be a time when he will not exist. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal and unchanging. He is the one who, who is, who was, and is to come. The Bible teaches and theologians talk about the aseity of God, A-E-S-I-T-Y, the aseity of God. If you want to find out more about that, just Google R.C. Sproul aseity of God. You'll get a good lesson on it. I could just touch on it here. But that's the idea that comes from Scripture, that God is not derived, he's not created, he's not made, he's not formed. Everything else is. That God always was. You you see how deep this goes? And again, we could have an entire sermon on this. Everything else is derivative. All the false pagan gods, the spirituality, those things that are filled with superstition, projections of man's imagination, they invest with power and they invest it with deity and they start to serve that. But they're really kind of serving themselves in that way because it's not the true and living God and, and the gods that we come up with are always a pro- kind of a projection of ourselves or what we want to be or what we hope to have. And we make those up and we put them in that place of the true and living God who has no beginning and no end, who is eternal God, who is the only God. Everything else is derivative. Believe me, it's not just back in the day with the Baal worships and, 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 and all the false gods, the Molochs and, and the false deities. The Greek deities, the Roman deities. No, it's even today, guys. You know? Everybody believes in something. Do you know the Black Lives Matter? Oh, they're neo Marxist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But you know what they really are at the bottom? They're very spiritual. And you could read about the founders, the two women especially. Black Lives Matter, their deepest root is found in African spirituality and ancestor worship. Do you know that? It's very spiritual. And they have deities there. That's why in the marches they'll say, you name the name. That's part of a religious uh, service, what happens in that Really, Yes. So that's a deity that's set up there. right? They, they, it's, it's made from environmentalism. It's a big deal today. We talk about godly stewardship, but there are people that worship this earth, the green movement, nature worship, pantheism, big time, going on right now in our midst. Driving in this morning, do we have it? Do we have it? Good, we have it. Bumper sticker theology, man. That's always right there for you. I was on a car in the parking lot. I'm like, Laura, man, we need to try to get a slide. She comes through in the clutch. Nature is my church. That says a lot about people. That, that's, that's what that. Is. Do you know the implications of that? No, it's not your church. This is the true church. we God over it. So it's, it's nature worship. People worship signs, and, and this is the deity. That uncaused, it's just there. That's atheism's God. And I'm talking about empirical, real science. That's fine, but historical science—that's rooted in speculation and theories and so forth. Right? Speculative kind of science. We see it all around us, all the time, even today with all the stuff that's going on. Right? This is the thing that works. My faith is in science, man. That's my God. Again, there's truth in that because there's there's science that's actually objective, but there's so much that is not objective. Again, just consider our circumstances. But we create these things. This is the God who is eternal God, not created, always was. Isaiah 43, we're told this, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be any after me. That's our God. That's what we're talking about here. Right? There is no before With God, he always was. And there can be no after in the nature of God. He always will be. Again, that's beyond our scope, our thinking. It's the clear teaching of Scripture. I could be here again all day and into the night talking about this from Scripture. I'm just giving a few examples here. He is the source. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. Acts tells us, in him we live and move and have our being. It's only by the grace of God that you're breathing the breath that you breathe right now. And that's why, even with unbelievers, they don't even acknowledge that. No, he causes the rain to fall on the evil and the good as well. Not just the good, but everybody profits from his grace and his mercy because he is God. And that's the big problem with sin is we don't acknowledge that. We're our own rebels. We want to set up our own gods. We want to be our own little gods in that way. Isaiah 40, 28 says this. A lot of passages today, but they're good. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What a privilege it is to be Christian. This is why we the doxologies come out. Psalm ninety verse two says this: "Before the mountains were brought forth, or or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, sovereign, King of King, Lord of Lords, immortal God." That's the God we serve. Amen. Praise God. There's more. A little bit more. He goes on. He says. The only sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords, the one who has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. He dwells in unapproachable light. This is our God. This is the transcendent majesty of God. When we think about light, even in the Old Testament, even in the tabernacle, there was always that light that was lit. Light represents so much of, of who God is. It's always juxtaposed against darkness where there's sin and death and corruption. Light Oh, the Shekinah glory, the light of God, the Mount of Transfiguration. We can go on and on about light and that brightness, and you can't stand in that. But it has to do with glory, our glory of our God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the purity of God, the truth of God, the justice of God, the majesty of God. So that's that metaphor is used that in that way. So he dwells in an unapproachable light. You can't come into that light, and it's not because... No, oh, it's just too bright. Ah, oh, it's a bright light. I can't, you know, oh, I can't do that. Or, or I'll melt if I get too close, like the sun, right? No, it's not. That's You shouldn't think like that. We can't dwell in that light, not because it's too bright for us. Or that, it's, that we'll disintegrate, like if we get too close to the sun, bright and heat. No, we can't go there because we're sinful. That's the idea. We, He has nothing to do with darkness, nothing to do with 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 sin and the stain of sin even the slightest sin we were talking yesterday in the men's group that that even the slightest sin set aside the the fact that we're sinners by nature and choice but even the slightest sin is enough to condemn us because a holy god cannot bear to to, to be in the presence of sin, that's how holy he is. That's what this means, the unapproachable light. And that's how sinful we are. So even the tiniest sin is enough to condemn us. But then we went on to say about the degrees of sin, oh, because people always say, well, that, I'm not that bad. I, at least I never killed anybody. At least I never did this. At least I never did that. Yes, you have. In your heart, you have, number one. And number two, just because you haven't done that physically, even if it's a little sin, that's enough to get you to hell. Why? Because God is so holy and righteous that he can't abide sin. Something has to be done for us, right? It's because we can't stand in the presence of a holy God. We can't stand in the presence of a holy God without being consumed because of his justice, righteousness, and holiness. I don't know, man. Like, even in a human way, sometimes when we're... Like, if you you were to meet somebody who... I can't really think of anybody these days. There's no shining examples of somebody. I was going to say royalty or you know, president or somebody of great stature or somebody you really admire would, would come into the room, like, you know, you, you almost feel like humbled by that, and wow, I'm not worthy to to be in this person's presence because of their position, their place, their you know, maybe their character, right? You know what I mean? We we would be in awe. It might be a, a movie star, a singer, or something for you, a sports person, right? Wow, that guy's here? Really, it's you in the... Fl-? And we, we kind of, you know, we kind of pay a little bit of homage to or, or in reverence of, you know what I'm saying? In that way, can you imagine standing in the presence of God as a sinner in that way? You can never approach him. You're going to fall down like those guards. You're going to be like the centurion after after uh, Christ was crucified. Surely he was the son of God because we know that he is and people will answer to him in, in that way. So even in the presence of greatness, there's all respect, humility. Imagine being in the presence of God knowing that you're the sinner that you are. I'm not worthy to say, right? Even right now, we know that we're covered in the... But if the Lord, if you're staying in his presence, what do you say? I'm worthy. I'm good. Hmm. No. I don't deserve this. Christ, the sovereign king of kings, the immortal one, puts on humanity. And this is the love of Christ. This is how we do are able to come into that light from darkness to light because Christ came to us. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign one, the immortal one, put on the flesh and dwelt among us. So Philippians tells us, Paul tells us, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He was God, but he emptied himself. He laid aside his glory because if he came in all his glory, could you stand before? Mm. He emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's how we go from darkness to light. That's how we can approach the unapproachable. Not in and of ourselves, not because we're good, but because Christ loved us and we have his righteousness as we repent, as we believe, as we trust in Christ for forgiveness of our sins. He takes our sins upon himself, gives us his righteousness. So when the father sees you, what does he see? He sees Jesus. He doesn't see good you because there's no good you. Right? He sees his son work on your behalf. He made him who knew no sin to become sin that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Amen? That's, don't you love being Christian? Don't you love it? Don't you want to live more for Just from this, just from hearing this, don't take your faith for granted, please. Be strong. He brings us into that unapproachable light, right? And then we're Isaiah one eighteen. Come, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, it will be as white as yeah. Though it's like crimson, right? That's right. That's amen. And that's how we're. That's our justification. That's that's how we come into the. That's how that unapproachable becomes approachable for us. Not of ourselves, but only through Christ. Behold, this is our God who made us alive in Christ. The one who we live for, who we live through, and who we live to. Amen? Put on Christ. Don't you love that doxology? All honor and glory belongs to him and to no other.